0: Acts chapter 6 in your Bibles, we'll be looking at that together. Many of you are on our email list. If you're not and would like to be, go to our information center, let, give them their email and we'll put you on. But we send out uh, at least one email a week, sometimes more, more than that with prayer requests and things that are going on. This past week, a couple days ago, those that are on the email list got... Uh, an email with several announcements in it, but one of them was a praise in sparing Aaron Kinder from harm in the rollover accident he was involved in. And here he is, lived to tell about it, and helped set up chairs. It's still as ugly as, as before, he says. But, and I should have I put the picture up on the screen, I apologize, but we gave you, I think there were six or eight pictures of the cru- uh, crushed roof, and that they four of them were able to walk away from that pretty much unscathed uh, is a testimony to God's protection. Thank the Lord. But uh, on one of those pictures, I noticed at the bottom that the the of the car that's turned over on its roof, you know, the windows are busted. There's some <clears throat> travel mugs that have spilled out, and there's a there is a coffee mug, the bottom of this thing. And I look really closely. That's a CBC mug. (laughs) And it survived the crash, that CBC mug did. And so I wrote to Aaron, I said, is that a CBC mug at the bottom of that thing? And I said, I don't know if you had the presence of mind to take it with you. If not, a new one will cost you (laughs) $2.50. So we're thankful that we have durable mugs and that... uh, Aaron's mug endured as well, so we're glad about all of that. Well, we are in our series. The title is Centering on Ministry, and this is our fifth session, and we're going to have several others together going through September. And the reason we're doing this is to prepare ourselves for moving into the building that we have acquired as of May the 10th. We closed on a closed elementary school in Trenton that we have now purchased and we are converting that into use uh, for our church that we call a ministry center. And uh, we, we try to avoid uh, the, the language of church to apply to the building, even though we all slip, including myself, on that because we don't want the church to be thought of as brick and mortar. And so for years, really, we've been talking about acquiring a ministry center a place where ministry will occur but also where training will be given in order for ministry to take place outside the four walls of the building as well and so we are calling our building a ministry center and many of you have adopted that language and that's why this series then is called centering on ministry a play on words as we move into our ministry center but to focus ourselves now on enhanced ministry Now that we have this uh, tool that we believe God has given us in order to advance his work through us. So today is our fifth session in looking at centering on ministry. This uh, coming week, as I said in the first hour, we hope and expect that we will have a building permit in hand which will allow our builder to actually go in the building and start the process of renovating. So that's been a long time coming. It has taken uh, several months longer than we had uh, hoped, but nonetheless, we have to uh, deal with the government, and you can't fight City Hall, as they say, and all of that, so we finally jumped through all the hoops with them, should have that this week, and should start that process, and we'll keep you updated. And as we then approach moving into the building, hopefully later this, this year, uh, we want to center on ministry, and we have looked at the centrality of the church in Scripture, That the church, according to God in Scripture, is central to the work that He's carrying out in His world. And we've also looked at the beauty of the church. That the church is beautiful because of whose church it is. It belongs to Christ, and Christ is its head. And because of who comprise the church. And that is redeemed people from all walks of life and uh, from all backgrounds that God has brought to the same place, to the foot of the cross, and unified these people from disparate backgrounds around one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one mission. So it's beautiful because of whose it is and, and who comprises the church. People who are redeemed and people who are gifted uniquely, each of us, are wired by God. We were placed in particular places at particular times for our birth by a sovereign God all of that known to him and planned by him so that then all the stuff that we've gone through the good and the bad and the ugly and our personality traits and our giftedness and our experiences all of that come together to make us who we are and when we come to God through Jesus Christ by believing who he is and what he has done he now commissions us to be part of his mission using our giftedness our uniqueness made by him to be an integral part of his body to move his work forward. That applies to every one of us. So the beauty of the church is because of whose it is and who comprises it, redeemed people and and gifted people, uniquely wired by God, all of us, to be a part of his work. And we saw two weeks ago, beginning two weeks ago, the mission of the church. And I was describing in the mission of the church the moving toward maturity graphic, And Colossians 1.28 is the theme verse for our church, has been for the entire over 10 years now of our existence, that we proclaim Him, Christ, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone mature, perfect in Christ. So that's our theme verse because that's our goal. We want to proclaim Christ and we want to take people Uh, to faith in christ give them the gospel see them respond to that and then take them where they are and move them toward where all of us need to go christ likeness maturity in christ the last two weeks i've been describing how we want to do that and the things we want to put in place in our new ministry center in order to make that that happen if you weren't able to be with us for any of those sessions they're all recorded online so if you care to i encourage you to go and listen to those i won't repeat that now But if you were here the last two weeks, you know that it's a very ambitious and elaborate program in order to take all comers, no matter where they are, move them from where they are to where they need to go. That takes a lot of service, a lot of ministry, a lot of work on our part, but joyful work indeed it is and will be. I have in my possession, related to that, a 116-page document Supplied by uh, our friend uh, Jeremy Pitsley, who was with us for several weeks before they've moved on now in deputation as they seek uh, support to go to Kenya and teach in a Bible college there. But Jeremy asked, if, while he was in town for several weeks, if there's anything he could do for the church. And he gave me a list of things that he thought he could do. I can help you write some curriculum, he said. I said, really? Well... Let me lay out this vision for you for moving people to maturity. So we sat down and did that. And Jeremy spent hours and days, and he gave me a 116-page document that is going to be a great help in moving us forward on, on that process. So we're not blowing smoke when we say we're going to do it. We're really going to do this. This is what we believe God has called us to do to give the gospel to people, to bring them to faith in Christ, and to see them move to maturity. And strides uh, have been made in that regard already. Now, with that, looking at the centrality of the church and the beauty of the church, and then for two weeks, the mission of the church, over the next few weeks, I want to look at the uh, plan for the church. The plan for the church. And as we look at the plan for our church in our new ministry center We're looking to plan, make preparations administratively, spiritually, mentally, physically, and evangelistically. And I'll be talking about all that stuff over the next few weeks. Now, we just looked at the last two weeks, the mission of the church, so logically you would think I would talk about preparing ourselves evangelistically. And that's true, I would. That would be the next logical thing. But I'm not going to do that right now and here's why. Uh, As part of preparing ourselves evangelistically, there's a particular topic that I want to spend some time on that requires some sensitivity on my part and also requires as many of our congregation to be present as possible. And the middle of August isn't that, with folks gone on vacation and that kind of stuff. So, uh, I'm trying to delay getting to that for as, as long as I can. Folks are back from vacation and all that. But, but here's one of the things that we need to do to prepare ourselves evangelistically. And I'll tell you what it is that I need to, to demonstrate the sensitivity toward and we need to think about prayerfully over the next uh, several months together. As we prepare ourselves to be most effective in our new building and reach the community and surrounding communities evangelistically, one of the things we have to do is remove unnecessary barriers to people coming to Christ, which means coming to give us a hearing. We need to remove unnecessary barriers to people hearing about Christ, which means we need to examine any unnecessary barriers that we might place in front of people, unintentionally though they be, that would keep someone from from coming to hear uh, the message that we have about Christ. Now, this idea of removing unnecessary barriers is not new to our church, thankfully. Uh, Our church has been able to advance, thank the Lord over these years, in part, I believe, because we've intentionally sought to remove as many unnecessary barriers as we can. From day one of our church, for instance, we've tried to make sure that there is no dress code for our church. Now, you say, does any church have a dress code? Most of them don't have a written dress code. I don't think I've ever seen one with a written dress code. But, of course, you don't have to write it down for people to know what the code is, right? I mean, you know how it is. Back in the day, there used to be, you know, restaurants. Now, just about any restaurant you go in, it's just whatever. But, but back in the day, there were certain places you would go where you knew you had to be dressed for it, right? And if you weren't, you would know that as soon as you, you walked in. Well, that's true in anything you go into, and that's true in a church as well. So we don't have to tell people to dress a particular way. All we have to do is all dress the same. And then the poor soul who comes in and didn't get the memo, you know, so he comes in without the uniform, or she comes in without the uniform. And then I saw a cartoon in a Christian magazine one time. You know, people are coming in. Everybody's dressed exactly the same, except this one couple comes in. And the husband says to the wife, Think they'll know we're visitors? (laughs) I mean, you might as well just have a target on you, right? So if you're somebody who's a guest in any, in any place, including a church, and you get that target put on you as soon as you walk in, you're going to be uncomfortable in the extreme, aren't you? You may not even hang around, right? So we've, we've tried to do that from, from day one. We've also tried to remove the unnecessary barrier of false perception about who we are. And we've been doing that for years. False perception. Now, what are some of the false perceptions that people have that we have tried to remove. One is that churches, pastors in particular, want one thing most important. It's not my soul. It's not my spiritual feeding, maturity. It's my money. That dude wants my money. I know this because I've seen guys like him on TV. And they're always asking for a donation Sometimes this thing can be yours free with your donation. (laughs) So he's seen a bunch of that, and when he comes in, he's already wired to say, I know you, I've met you, I know what you're about. I remember years ago when I worked for a living, had a real job, and I was talking to a guy that I had witnessed to, we had talked about spiritual matters, and uh, he was down on church and all of that, but his wife prevailed to drag him out to church, you know, a few times, and they went to a Lutheran church, happened to be a Lutheran church, not picking on Lutherans. People think the same thing about Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, all of us. But he happened to go to a Lutheran church, and he came into work, and he was describing to me, yeah, my wife made me go to church. And he says, you know, the pastor is uh, shaking my hand on the way out. And I know what he's thinking. This is what this guy says to me. I know what he's thinking. He says, you know what he cares about? He cares about that (laughs) tithe. And I said, if there's any left over from the tithe, I'll take the tithe. (laughs) He called it the tithe. I didn't say that about I'll take the tithe. But you see his just extreme sensitivity to that. I know what that guy's thinking. I know what he wants. All he cares about. Right? So we've tried to be sensitive to that. Perceptions, false, hopefully false about us, by simply telling people we don't want your money. You hear me say that every single week. We don't want your money. Okay? So when a basket goes by, don't put anything in it. You know, let us know how we can help you. When people come for our Discovering God series, our outreach series, we uh, don't ask them to pay for the books that we put in front of them. So we give them printed materials, sometimes published materials that we bought. Sometimes those have cost $25 each. We give that to the, to the individual and we say that's our gift to you. So they may never come back, but one thing they cannot honestly say is those people wanted my money. We didn't ask for your money, we gave you some stuff, we gave you a mug that can survive a rollover accident. <laughs> what else do you want from us people? So there are, these, there are these false perceptions. Here's another one. You know, Christians, and maybe especially Baptists, but Christians, just really think they're holier than thou. And so there's this perception on the part of people. You think you're better than me. And that is there. It's real. But hopefully it's false about us. But nonetheless, it's real. So if we're aware of it, then we need to do some things to disarm it. And so one of the things that that we have to do, that I have to do, Pastor Matt has to do, any of us that have a public presentation to the community we're trying to reach, is to try to include ourselves honestly in the preaching and teaching that we do. Say, this applies to me, I'm not better than you. That I struggle with sin, we struggle with sin that this is a place where, you've heard me say, it's safe to be a sinner. And so in, in all the ways that we can to communicate to people, we are not better than anybody, but because of Jesus, we're better off than a lot of people. <laughs> better off because of him, and we want you to be better off as well. So I think you would all agree, there are perceptions that people have, however acquired. If they are false, and those are false about us, then we should seek to do things to counteract those. Now, here's the one we're grappling with. We talked about it back on uh, briefly on April 15th in a congregational meeting. We are, by the end of this year, we are going to, as a congregation, make a decision about whether or not uh, our reputation as a Baptist, just, just the name, causes a significant number of people to go, I can't deal with that. Because of their perception. And perception, however, acquired. And that perception is acquired a lot of ways. Maybe by wandering in to a Baptist church. That was crazy. A church that if you guys walked into it, you'd come out scared to death. I'm telling you, and I'm going to prove to you, that there are Baptist churches all over the place and even around us that if you made the mistake of wandering in there, you'd be scared to death. And some of you, I'm convinced, don't know that. Because thankfully, we have a lot of first generation Christians in our church. So the only Baptist church they know is this one. Or we have people who have come from other churches of like faith, but they've been sane. And they've come to help us in our, we think, sane Baptist church. So the only thing they've known are sane Baptist churches. Most of us have only experienced that, most of us. But what I'm going to do over a few weeks is I'm going to introduce you to a world of Baptists that many of you know nothing about. And when I'm done with that, if we, then we collectively will need to make a decision about whether or not that has an adverse effect on us. So I'm going to try to do some work at educating our congregation about what's out there. The truth is, I know what's out there because that's what I do. And I've been doing it for a long time. But thankfully, I've been away from that kind of crazy circle long enough that I sort of forget about it. And I forget how prevalent it is and how how crazy it is and from my i can't i don't know for sure because since we're independent churches we don't have any real accurate counts all i can give you is my honest perception there's more of them than there are of us so i would go into that now because it would fit logically with our mission and our evangelistic outreach but it's important enough that I want as many people in our church to be present for it as possible, that I'm going to delay that. But I'm letting you know that I'm going to be making that presentation. And it will, I think, be... I think it will be eye-opening for a lot of you to see what goes on under the name Baptist in a lot of places all over the country, including not very far, far from here. Okay? And then, with that, we will make a decision as a church. And whatever that decision is... We're going to advance God's mission, and we'll be done with it. We'll be done with that. So however it goes, uh, I have a view about how, what I think wisdom dictates we should do. Our leadership team will make a recommendation about that, but our congregation will decide. And if there is significant opposition to going one way or the other, it's not a hill to die on for us. I just want you to know that. But it is something for us to, to think about collectively as, as a congregation. All right. So even be praying about that now before we get to it. So, in the plan for the church, we want to prepare ourselves administratively, spiritually, uh, mentally, and evangelistically. And that evangelistically piece is going to include these uh, perceptions and these unnecessary barriers, including the one that that I mentioned. All right, with that, preparing ourselves administratively, I just want to give you a schedule. Uh, Just. Briefly, as to what we hope to do when we get the go-ahead to move into our building. Uh, Whatever day that is that we're able to move in, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll see, but whatever that is, we want to either on that first day or very soon thereafter have a dedication service for our ministry center. And that dedication service will be primarily for our congregation. So it's not our grand opening. It's a dedication service, and so it'll be a time of dedicating this building to the purpose for which God has given it to us, of thanking God and celebrating His goodness to us. We will do that very early on. We just don't know the date as yet. Okay, but it's important for you to know that there's a difference between that, which is primarily us and not outreach, dedication service, and then our grand opening. And our grand opening we hope to have in the spring right after Easter so just after Easter we would have our grand opening Now, why why would you split them up that way because we need a few months in the ministry center to get our act together it's just a different deal it's a different layout we need to know how to tell people where the rooms are all that stuff we need to figure out where the rooms are so we need to be in there to get our routine down and do that for a few months and then further, spring is a great time right after Easter to have that sort of grand opening. So we're looking to have a dedication Sunday for us, then meet in the building weekly, you know, every, uh, every Sunday, getting our routine, our act together. But then right after Easter, have a, a grand opening. But not a grand opening Sunday. We're looking to have a grand opening weekend. So a number of things going on on the 15 acres that we have out there. So all of the neighbors who showed up at the planning commission, afraid about what this church is going to do. But it's just our grand opening. You only have one grand opening, okay? We're not having a grand opening every week. We'll just have to explain that. But we really want to make a, a weekend of it, including uh, events on the, on the grounds and including an open house for the community to come to see our facility and then for us to be able to answer any questions that people might have about us as, as well. And then we will have a gr- the grand opening Sunday uh, that weekend as, as well. So that will, be a, uh, that will be a cool time for us. And Lord willing, it'll be, we'll be in and we'll have been in for several months prior to uh, Easter and then the week after that have our uh, grand opening Sunday. So administratively, that's the, uh, the plan. Dedication service as soon as we can after we move in, primarily for our congregation, and then after Easter to have the uh, open house and grand opening weekend. So we want to prepare ourselves that way, and that's our, that's our schedule. You can see that there's a bunch that's going to have to be done in order to plan for a grand opening open house weekend rather than just a grand opening Sunday. Uh, But we'll have several months to to plan for that. We also need to uh, prepare ourselves mentally, administratively, but also just get our minds focused is what I mean by that. And it means a couple of things to prepare ourselves mentally. It means to uh, recapture an outward perspective as we move into our building. So we're trying to prepare ourselves with our mindset mentally, the way we focus, the way we think about it. And that means recapturing an outward mindset. Now, do you all know what I mean by that? It means intentionally, consciously saying to yourself, to ourselves, that God has brought us here to reach people we haven't met yet. And we want to think through what each of us does and how we do it in order to be best prepared to have that outreach mindset. Now, what kinds of things would that include? A boatload of things, but I'll just give you some examples. One is, it is very easy, you all would agree, uh, I think, when you do something every week to fall into a routine without thinking about what you're doing. And so it's very easy for us to do that here. Here. So we come in, 9.30, we know what the routine is, we do the routine, we have the coffee and the bagels, we know the routine. Now, does anybody, has anybody lately thought, when was the last time you thought about why we spend upwards of 30 minutes on coffee and bagels? Back when we started the church, we actually implemented that as part of the structure of our church. But, you know, over time, you just do it, You just do it every week, and then you forget, well, why do we do this? I don't care. As long as the bagels are good, I don't care why we do it. (laughs) And I think that's what happens to many of us. Now, I explain why we do it in our newcomer's orientation that most or all of you have been through, but it's easy over time to forget that. So why do we do it? Why is that baked right in? Well, it's not just because we like bagels because we don't have anything to spend money on, so we buy bagels. There's actually purpose to that thing. And one of the main purposes for cafe community is for us to mingle with one another, yes, but also to make feel as welcome as possible anyone who is a guest. Really? I didn't know that, you say. So that means asking yourself, when was the last time I spoke with somebody I didn't know during cafe community? I'm not looking for a show of hands or any of that, but I think if most of us think about that, the answer would be much less frequently than it should or could be because we fall into the routine. So I've got kind of my same cadre of people that I see. I may even have my same cadre of people that I sit with One of the things that I have... I was on a crusade for a few years ago. I gave up because I was losing. But was to actually not have very many tables set up. Now I say not very many. We need some. We've got folks who need to sit down. They can't... So we need some. But we don't need that many. And we want lots of grazing space for people to move around. And... And we definitely don't want people having their table that they go to every week with their people. Now, I'm not in there very much. You guys know that. So I really don't know how much or whether that happens. So I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm just talking in general. That would completely defeat the purpose for cafe community. Completely. But it's easy to fall into something like that, isn't it? and forget why we do this. As we move into this building, we need to recapture that outward focus. And that means things that we have set in in the structure of our church to be designed to help guests assimilate in as comfortably as possible, we need to use them for that purpose, and that includes cafe community. Now, it also means that in every ministry that we have, that every Sunday we prepare as if there is somebody coming into my area of the ministry who I've never met before and for whom this is going to be the first impression that they get now when you go through the motions in whatever ministry you're involved in whether it's my ministry whether it's Pastor Matt's ministry whether it's the music folks whether it's the ushers the greeters whether it's the nursery people the children's church people whoever it is, it is very easy to just fall into the routine and assume that everybody knows the deal. We all know the deal. It's us. And we've been doing this long enough that we know the deal. So I don't have to be on my A game for somebody who doesn't know the deal because it's, it's us. We're one big family. Well, there's truth to that. But The reason we're investing some serious coin into this ministry center is for us to reach people that aren't us yet. And they're going to come into your ministry and my ministry and they're not going to know anything about it. And you need to prepare for your area of ministry as if every week there is somebody that God is calling you to minister to who is getting their first impression about him about his people, about his church from you, from us. That means you come to church with your game face on. You come ready to serve. I come ready to serve. Ready to think about, yes, our family, yes, the people that we encourage and are encouraged by, but the people that God is calling us to reach as well. That's a different mentality. When do people start forming their impressions of any entity, any organization, any establishment they go to, including a church? When do they start forming that? You say when they walk in the door. Now it's before that. It's actually when they pull up to the joint. Does it look like these people have their act together at all? Are there any cars in that parking lot? If I'm one of ten cars and I'm a guest, I'll go someplace else, namely breakfast. So it is really cool if people show up early enough so that there are cars there when that guy gets there. Okay, there's enough people for me to go in and not be, have a target on my back. All right, so far so good. You know, is there junk all over the parking lot? Do I have any earthly idea where I'm supposed to pull in? What door I'm supposed to go in? Is there anybody there to tell me what I'm supposed to do when I walk in? Where the restrooms are? Where my kids go? Are Are they on it? If I'm a single mother and I pull into this place and I've got three children with me and one of them is in one of those car carrier things and I have to walk a long way Is anybody going to be there to help me with that? So I've been warning the greeter team for years that the ministry center we move into may not have a drop-off right by the door there. And further, somebody who comes by themselves can't really do the drop-off. So our greeter team is going to have, believe it or not, like a valet sort of availability to help people with that. So as part of our advertising, we say, you know, come as you are, leave your wallet in the car. And then we advertise valet parking on top of that. <laughs> and we also say not responsible for what happens to your wallet after we have... <laughs> but I'm simply trying to say, right, you've got to think that way. You've got to think, I've got to think, we've got to think from the perspective of that person who is coming in for the very first time. And what does this look like to them? And that's hard to do. Because once you're in it, you're in it. And, and you, you're in the bubble. And you, and it's hard for you to see outside of the bubble. It's hard for me to do that. But as we move into our ministry center, we need to force ourselves to do that. If somebody goes to, and our nursery and toddler folks do a great job. I'm just using this as an illustration. I have no idea uh, if this ever happens. But if it did, it would be bad. Somebody comes in, they you know, that that... That uh, single mother has got that infant child. We've helped them at the parking lot. That's good. We get her and them in the door. We're telling them where they need to go. We escort them to do that. But then we show up at the nursery toddler area, and there's nobody there. Well, that would be bad. You know, I'm, I'm really honest. We really do have a nursery and toddler thing here. See, there's toys and stuff. And the poor greeter guy is dancing. That would be Cliff. You know, it's worth it just to not have somebody there and video (laughs) Cliff dancing. (laughs) So Cliff's trying to verbally dance and say, well, you know, they'll be here shortly and, and all of that, right? Not a good impression, is it? But if you have people there who are ready to serve with a smile, ready to minister to you and minister to your child, that suggests something to this family. We care about you. We prepared for you. We want to serve you. Now, if it's your kid, you're like, yeah, okay, I can hang out for five minutes. I know somebody will show up. And they always do. And they may always show up on time, for all I know. And if you say, you know, we show up on time 95% of the time. Well, that is good. The other 5%, you have to assume that there are guests who showed up and got that negative impression when they did that. So in everything we do, we have to think, refocus on an outward perspective for the guest that we have been sent to that ministry center to to serve. There are, and we really are going to look at Acts 6 here in a second, There are lots of little things that happen on a Sunday morning that I notice that for a long time I used to allow them to get me down. And the Lord dealt with me on that, one. Two, we've had excellent people step up and say, I'm going to try to take care of those things so we actually have a lot fewer of them. But the reason they would get me down when things, even relatively small things, go wrong is because of what I'm talking about here. Not because it affects me personally. I know the routine. I know what time we start. I know we'll go through the thing. Everything's going to be good for me. Every Sunday, everything's going to be okay for me. But if we have a service mentality, what we have to concern ourselves with is whether or not everything is good for that guy or that gal. So if we look like we haven't prepared, if we look like we are not ready to go with what we invited you to, not at 9.29, not at 9.31, by 9.15, we're ready to go. And as people come in, they're coming into a place that's prepared for them to be here. And we're not scrambling to get our stuff done. We came early enough to get that done so that we could welcome you. Now, there are, li- and there are relatively small things like that that happen. I could go through a big list of small things. I won't. But they're the kinds of things that we all need to think about, okay? Now, why? You may be sitting there thinking, you know, dude, if we'll just be Christians, if we'll just love each other, if you'll just preach and teach the word, it'll just happen. And in my remaining five minutes, I want you to see from Acts chapter 6, and you can actually see this throughout the book of Acts, but in Acts chapter 6, it does not just happen. That, that God's church grows in part by God using the efforts and the planning And even the strategy of his people to make that happen. Now we see that in Acts 6. Notice verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, in those days, number of disciples is increasing. That is, the the church is growing. And guess what? we got a problem. Well, that always happens. And there is someone who does not want Bible-believing churches to grow. And so there will always be a problem or problems that arise. And the question is, how are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do about that? And if you simply take the approach that says, you know, just pray about it, let's just love each other, you just preach, then it'll just happen, then what occurred in Acts 6 would never have taken place. Notice verse 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. It says that. Then as you go from verses 2 through 6, it gives a description of how the church in Jerusalem handled the problem that's addressed in verse 1. This complaint. And the result of them taking action, not just saying, let's love each other, let's pray about it, you just preach and teach, and you know, the Grecian Jews will finally get it. Or if they don't get it, it's their fault. Or they shouldn't be complaining anyway. Let's focus on that. In fact, Brown, do a series of sermons on complaining so that we can tell these people, shut up and stop complaining. There's nothing wrong with our system. But they don't do any of that. They get together and they say, okay, something's broken, let's fix it. And they established the office of deacon. They say, choose seven men from among you who will be able to take care of this. And there's some nuance to the men that they chose and that the names are Greek names and all of that. That's all important that I don't have time for. But verse 1 says, in in those days the number of disciples was increasing. Verses 2 through 6 tell you they took action. And as a result of them taking action, notice verse 7. So the word of God spread. Now, verses 1 and 7 are what's called an inclusio, like an enclosure. You've got a front, you've got a beginning, you've got an end, and the rest is enveloped within that. So you have the beginning, the number of disciples was increasing. Are the number of disciples going to continue to increase? Well, there's a problem. What's going to be done about the problem? We're told what was done about the problem. And as a result of something being done about the problem, the result, the end of the inclusio, the end of the story is, so the number of disciples continue to increase. And the implication is, had they not taken action, had they not said, we've got things we need to strategize about, things we need to address, things we need to plan for. If they hadn't done that, the implication is the number of disciples don't increase that way. So Luke is showing us very early on in the life of the church, the very first church in the city of Jerusalem, that they faced potential obstacles to growth, unnecessary barriers, if you will, to growth, In this case, we're we're given a description of what that is, what they did, and as a result, verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Well, God allowed us to plant this church many years ago in order to see the number of disciples increase. And by His grace to increase rapidly but that is going to happen as we go in with our game face on and we say we are going to remove unnecessary barriers to that happening we are going to operate in a way that facilitates that happening so that the number of disciples will continue to increase in Trenton and Woodhaven and the surrounding communities okay so god's word and throughout the book of acts you have these kinds of narratives these kind of pictures of the life of the first church in which they had to get together, they had to plan, they had to strategize. And then Luke keeps telling us in seven progress reports throughout the 28 chapters of the book of Acts that the the mission and the church move forward as a result of all of that. So we're going to be done here in 30 seconds. But friends, if we're going to move forward when we move to our ministry center, it's going to require that we mentally prepare ourselves so that we refocus on an outward perspective, thinking about how what we do affects the person that we are trying to reach and how we are perceived by the people that we are are trying to reach. By God's grace, then, people that God brings through our doors will see that we're prepared. We'll see that we love them enough to prepare for them and to set this up in order to minister to them and to their families and to their children. And I'm willing to make a prediction here. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but the number of disciples will continue to increase. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the blessings of this day. And thank you in particular for the opportunity to just set this time aside and to think about this important matter of utilizing effectively the resource that you have provided for us in your timing. Lord, you've given us this ministry center and we want to exploit it as much as possible for the gospel. We want to be as effective in its use as possible. We need your wisdom. Uh, we need the enthusiasm that comes from a recognition of the eternal joy and eternal gravity of the, of the service, the ministry that we're engaged in. And so over the next several weeks and months, help us as a, as a church to revive our enthusiasm for the work to which you have called us and the particular ministries to which you have called each of us within your church. And to those who may not be actively involved in ministry, that they might gain an enthusiasm and a vision for what it is you're seeking to accomplish through them in your church. Together, as shoulder-to-shoulder we move forward using the gifts and abilities that you've provided for us and with hearts of love, looking beyond ourselves and to those that you have called us to reach. We pray that we will have maximum effectiveness for the gospel in our new facility. Go with us this week as we ponder these things and as we pray about your provisions and our place in your, in your plan this week. Bring us back safely next Lord's Day